You know what we say? We're never too young to think about aging. Join us for this Zoom Catcher's special presentation, Conversations on Aging, the podcast. We'll be talking with industry experts on engaging issues. Whether it's science and technology, Medicare fraud, elder care, or justice, we got you covered. 2030 is quickly approaching. Will it be the golden years or the silver tsunami? Stay tuned and find out. We're all stakeholders. Let's learn and age together. Remember to subscribe to our Zoom Catchers YouTube channel and follow us on our socials. Greetings and welcome to this special conversation on aging. You know what we say, we're never too young to think about the aging issues and all that goes along with that. I'm Kimberly Gunn. I'm your host for today's conversation and executive director of Zoom Catchers. We are going to be joined by a private caregiver who is going to tell us her caregiving journey. Super excited to have her be a part of this conversation. Welcome, welcome. Ms. Hi, Kim. LT. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I just finished my first week in a new job, so rather excited. And, and, and perfect timing for this conversation to break down what goes on in the world of, of caregiving. And first, I want to just put a, a golden spotlight on all the caregivers that are out there. They are holding down the fort for millions of Americans. According to my research, there's 4.5 million direct care workers that provide care for people in homes, residential care homes, nursing homes, and hospitals. And by 2028, the need for a direct paid care workforce is expected to go by 1.1 million people. So, L, you are in the perfect job because there is a, a huge need for it. So please Tell us more about yourself and how you got into the uh, private caregiving industry. Well, it was actually by accident. I've always been in the corporate world and sort of dreamt that when I was going to finish with that part of working, I'm not the kind of person to stay home and sit on the sofa and just watch TV. So I always thought I would love to get in the private home service industry more like being a, a major domo or a butler or something to that effect. And I lost my job in 2008 during that financial debacle. And one day my really secure job went up and spoke. And uh, there were no jobs, I mean, no traditional jobs. Companies were downsizing, people were laying off. I couldn't even get a job for $10 an hour. And it was a little distressing. So I decided that I guess that was the time that I should explore what I thought I was going to be during my semi-retirement to go into it now. And it took me a while because when you're in private care, you have to have a minimum of five years references of working in the home. So no matter your level of education or your experience that you have to offer, they say, well, that's all lovely and wonderful, but if you don't have those references of working in homes and there, you know, a lot of artwork and people have to be secure that the person that they're letting into their home is safe and 
has a great background and has those references. So it took me five years of accumulating these references. And then I had, I was living in Atlanta at the time. And then I had an opportunity to move back up to New York, which is really where that industry in the private home service was thriving. And I've been doing that ever since 2011. Wow. So you've clocked some, some years and you have a, a wealth of experience and we really appreciate you being here to discuss that. As I said at the top of the show, the need for caregivers is really going to be growing both in the, the public sector, public caregiving and the private caregiving sector as well. I do want to put a spotlight on the public caregivers. I want to highlight IHSS caregivers and they're providing support for like a half a million Californians. So super excited to be able to talk about that. I do want to, though, make a distinction between the public caregiving side and the private caregiving side. If you could just talk a little bit more about your private caregiving experiences and the difference between those two, that'd be great. Well, I actually started out in housekeeping. I was, as I said, trying to strive to be sort of like a major butler, major domo house manager. And the situations that I ran into because of the increased aging of our population, I was always seemed to be working for some seniors in some capacity, 60, 70, 80. And I just sort of ended up being promoted into taking care of someone in their family, someone's husband, someone's wife. And then that became my expertise. It wasn't really my intention, but it's turned out to be a very rewarding position. And uh, private home care, though, is a bit different than the residential caregivers. There's a difference in, in wage, for sure. And I work for families that can afford to pay for the care of their loved ones, which is really very, very important. Not that this, these families can afford to pay for it, but the percentage of people who can afford it, I'm sure, is a lot smaller than the percentage of families that are now discovering that they did not prepare for either their parent or their spouse to be in a health crisis that does require care. And then all of a sudden the finances hit them and it can be very, very overwhelming and expensive. And you know, you, you touch on a really important point because I think, you know, I would imagine a lot of caregivers end up in this industry because they kind of fall into it or out of necessity, maybe didn't necessarily plan for it, but life circumstances kind of got them into those positions. And I was wondering if you could talk more about the duties and responsibilities that a caregiver has and what your what a typical day might look like for you, if there is such a thing as a typical day. Yeah, there, there is. The first thing, if you're interested in getting into this kind of field, because it is going to be growing, the demand will be there, and you can earn a living, is you never could ever say, that's not my job. There are a variety of things that will crop up. You're taking care of an individual. And when you're dealing with private homes, some of these homes have other staff. They might have a, a cook or they might have a laundress. But when you're dealing with the individual and the family, many times you end up taking care of their personal needs. So you can assist them in the shower if they're not that mobile and they, you know, they have to sit in one of those chairs in the shower and you have to help them bathe. 
you have to help them dress, you clean their clothes, you, you wash their clothes because they're just, they're your individual unit. A lot of times you prepare their dinner. And a lot of times I've, I've cooked, not that I've had to cook, but they've been on a special diet and they only can, they have to do a low salt or a low sugar, or there's certain things they can and can't eat. And you learn that. And you're almost like a guardian so that you make sure that the things that will help to keep this patient happy and alive and functioning, it sort of rests on your shoulders. You manage their medicine. You make sure they take their medicine, whatever the requirements, daily, three times a day, every other day. You have to notify whomever is in the family that's possibly managing the doctors. And you can tell them that they need, you know, advise them what you're running out of and what has to be renewed. But after a while, it all, when you, when you do a good job, thing you know, you're basically doing all the jobs, but it's, you know, taking care of one person is, can be challenging because in my position, I usually live in the home. And that means that I can be there for five nights five days, five nights. And I'm basically living there. I have my own private room and a private bath. And I do have a few hours off per day, but I'm actually living with the patient and caring for them at a day and night basis. And when you do that, the nighttime is something that people have to be very aware of because the the standard equipment is some kind of a, a sensor. So if you're person that you're taking care of is trying to get out of bed and they could possibly fall, this sensor rings a bell in your bedroom. And that can be anywhere from two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, more than once, which means you got to get up, go check, make sure they're okay and uh, get them resettled, find out what their need is, and then go back to sleep maybe for two hours before that bell rings again. So... <laughs> There's, you know, but, and, and there's probably a lot of things I haven't even mentioned. You just have to really be open and accepting to care for the person that you've been hired to do so for. And I think that I'm also a caregiver for my aunt. You ran through a list of things. I'm like, I do that. Check, check, check. You know, and it obviously can sound, or it obviously sounds difficult and, and can be challenging at times. But you've been a private caregiver for a while now. What would you say are some of the most rewarding aspects of this kind of work? It's, it's, you know, it's not like I would really think a lot of the jobs that I'm doing would find as rewarding. What is rewarding is when you are hired by very concerned family members who are worried about their, their mother or somebody in the family, their husband, whoever, could be their child that they're so thrilled on the job that you're doing, that you're making a lot of people relaxed and feeling very comfortable that their family member is being cared for and that that patient is also very happy that you're there taking care of them because they trust you. So that that's the most rewarding thing is when you gain their trust and uh, their appreciation, then you just keep going on. And, you know, to go along with that, what would you say are some of the, the biggest challenges that a caregiver faces? I know that there are a lot of people out there, they have a big heart and they want to do this kind of work. But what kind of advice would you give for, for a caregiver that wants to get into this industry in this field as far as things that they could expect and anticipate? 
specifically, I am in the private home. I, I, I don't work in nursing homes or in residential houses or anything like that. So I am walking into a family's private home and there could be a lot of dynamics going on in there. And I add to it by just existing. And while you're existing, you have to learn to not exist. It's almost sort of trying to be as calmly non-existent while walking around doing what you have to do. Many times the family member has their, the person that I'm taking care of in a separate wing of the house, maybe in a separate apartment. So we may not interact with the rest of the family every day. But you have to deal with a multitude of personalities. And sometimes even the person that you're caring for can have an adjustment. I'm trying to be very diplomatic here in their attitude towards you from day to day. And that has to do with the condition of their health or primarily what really is going to be the largest sector to care for going forward is Alzheimer's and dementia. And that is a very, very grueling, tireless position because you're now dealing with a person who is not remembering who they are or how to act or how to be. And you have to approach them and deal with them in a very gentle and non-catastrophic. And that really is a word that is used when you're dealing with people that have ongoing developing dementia is you could say something simple to like, well, why are you doing that? You've never done that before. And that could set them off into some angry tirade. And that's not who that person used to be, but that that's who that person is turning into now. And so that can be, that could take a lot of energy and you have to be prepared to, to give that. And to follow up on that, um, do you, or did you get specialized training specifically to deal with Alzheimer's or dementia patients? No, I just ended up having somebody who had early onset dementia and I learned while doing the job and it got to the point where I was exhausted because I I don't know, I'll talk to the mothers out there, but and the fathers too. When you have a new baby coming into the house, all of a sudden, you don't sleep soundly anymore. You always have one ear kind of open to listen to the baby crying or something, and you respond. Well, when you're dealing with a person of dementia, they can get up in the middle of the night and go roaming all over the place. So again, you're, you're just, you know, you're listening and you're always on. And someone recommended a book to me, and the name of the book is 36 Hours in a Day. I, I don't know who the author is. I don't remember, but I did read it, and there were a lot of terrific tips in there on how to manage situations, how to prevent these catastrophic reactions, maybe to the way in which you speak to them. And one of their primary items that they kept pounding into in, in this book is that you need to take care of yourself. If caregivers do not take care of themselves, they're going to collapse because you could be doing this all the time. So, and especially I would think that this book would be very beneficial for family members 
who have found themselves to be the caregiver because they can't afford to have somebody work 24 hours. And then that family member becomes isolated. They don't go out anymore because they feel they can't. They don't make arrangements to have somebody fill in for an afternoon so they could even just go sit in the park and breathe air and, and not have to worry about constantly being on and constantly caring. So it was very helpful to to have that kind of enlightenment in this book because I was just going along. And then this book helped me realize some of the things I needed to do and some of the things that I was reacting to that was normal and how to fix them. And, and thank you for, for bringing that up, that the whole issue of self-care, it's sort of like take care of yourself before you can really take care of others. And I think when we're dealing with patients or clients that have ongoing needs that your clients might or my aunt or other family members, it can be really difficult to keep that in the forefront of our minds. Like, I need to take care of myself. You know, how do I take care of myself in the midst of taking care of, of other people? And how, how do you decompress from, from a long work shift? Well, I don't do those anymore. <laughs> so this recent job, I, I sort of, been, for three years, have been designing a job only in my mind. And my agent's been laughing at me because she thinks I was dreaming. And I actually found a great job that I do quite a lot of hours, but it's in three days, full time, 24 hours. And so I basically book a week's worth of work in a small period of time. And it's easier for me to decompress because I now have more time at home. If a lot of people are working the way I used to work, which is five days a week, sometimes 24-hour shifts, sometimes I, I wouldn't come home just because by the time I came home and I slept, I had to get up and go again. And it's kind of like a waste of time. So I would stay. And then when I did come home on my two days off, I was working for myself. Housework, mail, bills, groceries, laundry, whatever it is that I didn't do for the week that I was away. So it was hard to decompress when you're working that kind of a schedule. I mean, you know, think of nurses. You know, sometimes they're gone for six days and it takes a couple of days just to realize that you're back at home. So I'm not sure... I decompressed really well because I was always moving. Mm -hmm. and, and I appreciate your honesty because I think a big part of it is just a big part of self-care is acknowledging the difficulties and the challenges and, hey, hi, I'm here. I'm a person I need. I need yeah. some yeah. care and some love too, right? <laughs> now, yep. what kind of tips and advice would you give someone who, let's say someone's taking care of a family member but they want to make it more of a profession, what would you advise them do? Well, for my industry, again, private home care, that is you have to be prepared to live in because a lot of these families really are concerned about the nighttime. Some of them have shifts, so they'll have two people do a 12-hour day and then a 12-hour at night. And if you have someone to work with, then Sometimes you can intermingle and you do two weeks at night and two weeks a day so that you have a little time, of, you know, you're not just working all one shift all the time. Uh, if you want to make money, then it's, and, and it's very sad to say that working in like a residential home as a nurse's assistant or even working as a caregiver through an agency that gets the jobs and then they hire you out for how much time this family would want 
the pay is very, very low. And that's something that I think really needs to be improved with the increase of aging that's going to be happening. So if you're looking to make money in that field, you might want to make sure that you have all your certificates that you get. You go to the Red Cross and you get the CPA certificate that maybe you get some special training. Uh, you can learn to give needles or to like put an IV. If you, do, if you do some extra training for yourself so that you're not just a person who's going to be an aide, but you are an individual that has shown that you are interested in getting into this field and that you have pretty good credentials behind you. If you want to get into private home care, what I did is in order to get the references for working in a home, I was one of these day maids. I, I got jobs on care.com. And I would clean people's homes. And sometimes I did two homes a day. And that after a while, you know, people were very happy with me. I was in their home and I asked the ones that I, I thought would be happy to write a reference for me. And I accumulated my references that way. And with the training that you do, that you add to yourself so that you can really show that you have a good credential and you have references of living in the home, then they have special agencies. These are employment agencies. These are not agencies that you work for the agency and they take a percentage of your pay. This is just an agency that finds uh, that families call because families don't really want to be involved in the interviewing process. And if they feel that you match a particular family and their needs, uh, you go to them, you interview, you get hired, and then the family pays you, and they're your boss. Okay. So all you people out there that want to become uh, professional caregivers, you heard it straight from the uh, private caregiver that there's some, those are some steps that you can take. And on the other side of that, what um, advice would you have for families that want to hire a, a private caregiver? What, what are the, let's say, top three things they should be looking out for? Well. If you, the agency, because you really, to be a private caregiver, you have to go through one of these agencies. If anybody's interested, there's a website. We'll, we'll give you an indication as to what the private industry has and what it offers and the jobs that are available. And it's called estatejobs.com. And this is not an agency. This is an industry clearinghouse. So all the agencies that work under this private home care or just private service, whether you're a, a laundress or a housekeeper, a personal assistant, um, many things, the agency would post a job on their website and then they pay a fee to have it posted on this estate job. So all the agencies post there and, and you'll kind of get a better idea as to what is available. These families do not want to, as I said earlier, deal with the uh, whole uh, process of interviewing and gathering people and clearing them. So the agency does all of it. By the time you're presented to the family, you've had a background check, all your references have been checked, you have been vetted and approved to qualify to be an applicant in that agency, and then they, sh they you know, send you out on interviews to various jobs. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And then as we, as I said at the top of the show, you know, we're moving closer to 2028, 2030, where the need is going to grow exponentially. And mm -hmm. with your years of experience in the industry, what have you noticed? How has the industry evolved 
for better or for worse? You know, I, I, I don't feel qualified to really answer that question because I'm not really in the industry per se. I didn't, you know, train to be a caregiver. I, I'm not a nurse. I just happen to have the, I guess, compassion to want to take care of a person and to do it well. I'm not squirmish about having to help somebody bathe or change them or clean them for that matter. A lot of people are incontinent or you have to change bags. And so, you know, I've learned through experience, not because I came from that industry. Have you noticed any changes since the, since the pandemic in particular? Because I know that, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of caregivers kind of left the field and, and went to pursue other things. Have you noticed any, any changes along those lines or not necessarily? Oh, yep. Very, very much so. I, my war job ended in May of 2021. And for not pandemic reasons, but uh, other reasons of, um, he just really needed male attendance because he needed more assistance being picked up. And uh, I just, I, I couldn't continue to do that. And that was May 2021. And I just got a, a, a job a week ago and we're in 2023. So that's a long haul. So prior to the pandemic, the jobs were posted in private home care or, and, and in the private industry. There are a lot of jobs that families that are very busy and they have, a, you know, their CEOs or their corporate presidents, their multinational business people, and they don't have time to be dealing with the laundry and the cooking and the driving. And so they hire people to do that. All the executives and, and people who need to hire people in the home would have multiple staff. And what happened after or during the pandemic, I think they managed to rearrange their staff. So if they hired somebody to be the laundress, maybe that person was also the caregiver for their parents. They were very hesitant to hire any additional new people to come in. And then there was all of these, these issues with people who didn't want to be vaccinated and, and everybody, this industry, you've got to be vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, don't even try because nobody wants to let people come in their home if they're not vaccinated with the COVID. I don't mean that they have to continue being vaccinated, but at least have the initial vaccine and, and booster. That definitely is a requirement. And the jobs have basically disappeared for the last two years. It's only recently that they've started to come back very gingerly. So I think people are more hesitant now to have more people in their home than they had before. And that, that's, that's so interesting because, you know, it leads into my next question about what do you see as the, the future of caregiving? What, what, is the, what are the, the trends, would you say? I know that you know, a lot of people are talking about you know, the technology and how that might um, alleviate some of the some of the burden and, and the need but at the same time caregiving is a, is a high-touch industry so what do you see as the as the future I, I trends I would just see the personal care that I'm doing I I don't see any trends one of the interesting parts of why I personally might be more desirable for uh, people to hire uh, for their seniors because I myself am a senior. So I can relate to people who are telling me about rotary phones or how the computer wasn't even invented 
when they were a kid. And I mean, I can relate to that. When you have a 25-year-old talking to somebody who's 90, there's definitely things kind of pass in the night. (laughs) There's no comprehension. As far as technology, again, with the age, a lot of people have refused to deal with and accept technology. Maybe 50 years from now, the young people today who are going to be seniors 50 years from now would be a little bit more accepting of technology. But I don't think technology is going to be anything that's going to be very helpful other than the oxygenator. So you can put the thing on the finger and you can see how much oxygen. That's helpful. The automatic blood pressure taker. That's helpful. But other than that, I think personal touch, personal care, and caregiving also encompasses a lot of companionship because you need to engage them and have conversation and have them feel that they're still in command of themselves and they're still a regular everyday person. They're not just some patient that somebody comes in and takes care of and then leaves. So I'm not sure what technology can do to fill in those kind of gaps. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. It's, you know, people are talking about robots and caregiver robots and all kinds of things. And I think, oh, we're, I think yeah. we're a bit away from that in this country. I know other countries like the Japanese are, are utilizing that. So we'll see. But really appreciate you being on our program discussing issues around caregiving. There's just going to be such a need for it as we continue to move towards 2030. And what would you, what kind of advice would you give for families who, you know, may have a family member who is in need of care? Maybe it's not right now, but it's coming down the line. How would you advise families to start to even have the conversation to think about it? Well, you know, there's long-term care insurance, Some of it, when you start, don't look at the cost of that insurance as prohibitive because the cost of care when you don't have coverage is beyond prohibitive. So financially work out, even if it's short-term care, if you get sick and you know that, but then the short-term tier runs out after several months and then you're back to having someone in your family having to take care of you, which can really cause some resentment, even though that person doesn't want to really feel resentment, their life has stopped in order to take care of you. So the dynamics of, and also actually when you think about it, or I just came to mind, be healthy. Don't go down and drink lots of alcohol, which, you know, once in a while, it's okay. I have a cocktail in the evening. All that greasy food that you used to eat when you were 25, you know, look at it second and third time and just kind of reject it. Start eating a really healthy diet and take care of yourself. Exercise. Imagine yourself unable to walk. And that that practice and that thought alone should get you jarred enough to realize that if you don't keep yourself in an ambulatory situation, and that your blood pressure is not sky high, and that you haven't eaten yourself into diabetes, and you're not overweight, and you will have a much happier aging process than people who figure they, you know, a lot of people think that they're healthy and they could just keep treating their body that way. And eventually it backfires on them and then they're in a pickle. So there's not only a financial aspect 
which is an extremely difficult one. And I don't even know how to solve that. Do do some research and try and prepare yourself for that part of it, but also take care of yourself so that you can be 85 and still be playing poker and having a good time while you're drinking your water. <laughs> and your cocktail, right? Uh, yeah. Well, watered down cocktail. <laughs> right. That, that's great advice because, you know, I think for for many people, the issue isn't the chronological age, but it's the condition of your physical body, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully for those people out there that may need a caregiver in in their golden years, they'll be lucky enough to find someone like you or, or you personally. So, you know, we, we really want to lean into the idea that we all need to A, be mindful of our health, but also be hopeful and plan for, for our caregiving needs, either for ourselves or for our loved ones. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of great, you know, this website, care.com has really grown. I would tell a lot of people about it and everybody seems to know about it already. So I guess it's been out there long enough. And you really can find caregivers. You register your job and you've put in your radius of miles. You want somebody to work, come and work in your home that's within 10 mile radius of your home. And you'll be surprised the amount of people that are registered on care.com. They do background checks and it's, you know, anywhere from 25 to $30 an hour. Sometimes you can get someone at 20, but it's not really lower than that. But still, there's a lot of very nice and compassionate people out there that are already in the industry waiting for you to select them. There it is, folks, all you caregivers or future caregivers. You, you have some options out there. It was estatejobs.com and, and care.com. And also, you know, just keep a, an eye out for opportunities that may come up also in the public health care giving space. Elle, it has been a pleasure having you on. Any final parting words or thoughts for all of us who are probably going to be in need of care? You know what? When you become the patient who needs the care, be kind to your caregiver. We all get cranky and we all change in some way as we get older. We get mad at ourselves and then we end up getting mad at the world. But don't be mad at your caregiver, really. There it is, everybody. Don't be mad at your caregiver. Love your caregiver, and uh, and they'll love you back. They'll probably love you anyway, but they'll love me. <laughs> yeah, they'll love you anyway, but they'll be they'll they'll be able to they'll go home and decompress nicer. <laughs> Absolutely, L. It has been a pleasure having you on. We really appreciate your service. I know that you have been in this industry for for years, and I'm sure your clients and the families and the people, the lives of the people that you've touched. It has made a tremendous impact for many people. So thank you once again. And thank you for being here and joining us for this special presentation, Conversations on Aging. The caregiving component is a huge part of that, and it will continue to be to do so. And for those people that want to find out more information about the information that, that Elle provided, there'll be links in the description. You're welcome. <laughs> And that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next time.